the House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Welcome to the first 2022 installment of Capital Ideas. If you're here for the first time, I'll say now what I've been saying since we launched this podcast back in the dark ages, by which I mean 2009. We call this Capital Ideas because it's where members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. Today's featured lawmaker is Representative Tana Sen. Tana lives on Mercer Island and chairs the House Committee on Children, Youth, and Families. Today's idea is pretty straightforward. Young people shouldn't be homeless, and when they've been in the care of government, they especially shouldn't be shown the door that opens directly onto homelessness. You'll hear a third voice in today's show. That'll belong to Caitlin Burton, a member of the House Democratic Communications team. We recorded this remotely a couple of days ago, and here it is. Welcome to Capital Ideas, Representative Tana Sin. It's really good to have you back here once again. Thanks, Dan, for having me. You haven't let a session go by for several years that didn't have some big bills. You've got a big bill this session. You may have more than one, but I know that House Bill 1905 gives a pretty big new portfolio to the Department of Children, Youth, and Families and the Office of Homeless Youth Prevention and Protection, if I got that title correct. What is the problem that you looked out and saw, and how is this thing going to fix it? So this legislation really gives teeth to an existing law, which we often refer to as 6560, that passed in 2018, that said the state is committed to not releasing minors and young adults into homelessness when leaving a publicly funded system of care. So that's a bunch of gobbledygook to say, if people are leaving foster care or inpatient mental health treatment or a juvenile rehabilitation facility, that we shouldn't just let them out into homelessness. It is our responsibility to make sure that we find stable housing for them and work with them for a housing solution. While we passed that in 2018, we didn't do much to give it legs. And this legislation makes sure that we can actually live up to our commitment. Let me go back a second. I know that this new piece of legislation gives a lot of new responsibilities to the the Office of Homeless Youth. Up to now, how is that office doing? The Office of Homeless Youth has been an amazing addition to, uh, to our state agencies, created about 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago. They, one of the great things about the Office of Homeless Youth is they really have uh, their pulse on homeless youth, talking with them, finding out their lived experience and what will really work for them. And so, you know, sadly, we still have between 13 and 15,000 unaccompanied youth in our state. And the Office of Homeless Youth is kind of a home and a place where we can focus on those youth. I wanted to answer the other part of your your question, Dan. Uh, This legislation gives the Office of Homeless Youth and the counties and communities 
more tools and options on how to uh, address youth homelessness. Because frankly, each youth's uh, situation is unique and the resources and opportunities in their communities are also unique and different across the state, whether it's an urban environment or a rural one, east side or west side of the mountains. Uh, and so it does take a variety of tools to make sure that each youth can be served. By tools, you mean? Flexible dollars, uh, different coordination around rapid response to uh, potential homelessness or to homelessness, uh, housing options, and uh, some grants to help develop some specific responses in different areas with greatest needs. Could you talk about um, how the bill came about and who in the community you've been working with on it? Yeah, this really has been an exciting bill. Over the interim, uh, brought together about 50 stakeholders to look at the issue of youth homelessness and at-risk adolescents. And what we realized is the state had been doing a number of reports and unfortunately they've kind of sat on a shelf. So we started our work looking at all the recommendations from uh, reports, about five reports over the past few years, collating them, looking at where we saw the com commonalities of what were the biggest needs and some of the recommended solutions. Uh, streamlined that to focus on what we thought would uh, move the needle the greatest and put together a slate of proposals, uh, many of which are in this bill, and then some other budget providers to help move the needle on um, youth homelessness and reducing at-risk youth. And those are homeless advocates. They are Mockingbird Society, who are former foster youth, with healthcare, low-income housing, mental health professionals across the gamut, legislators, and um, so really across the gamut of people engaged in this effort. And why would you say we need this bill right now? Could you talk about some of the issues that young people are facing, especially during the pandemic? Well, we know there's a homeless crisis in our state and the best way to reduce homelessness long-term is to reduce homelessness at the get-go. And the best way to reduce homelessness at the get-go is to make sure people have stable housing. When you think about that for youth and we look at the pandemic, our youth and young adults are really seeing the brunt of the impacts of the pandemic on their mental health, their hope for their future, and their prospects for the future with schools having been closed, jobs um, not available to them, the economy closing down, the stress of this, of climate change, of gun violence, all coming to bear at one time. So making sure that we are there to support our youth through this challenging time and that goes for any young adult or, or youth um, facing mental health issues and just anxiety. And then you throw in a mental health diagnosis, involvement in the criminal justice system or foster care. And that is just, you know, uh, probably an unbearable and an untenable situation that we need to help them through this period. How would you say um, this one bill fits into the broader picture of addressing um, homelessness that the caucus has been working on? So there's a lot of legislation where we're focused on behavioral health solutions, or we're focused on the Blake decision, which made sure that we were not arresting people for uh, possession of small amounts of, of certain um, substances. And we look at homelessness. And so often we just focus on this big picture of it. And I'm really trying to make sure that we recognize and address the unique needs of youth. 
for somebody going through behavioral health trauma or a housing situation, the supports and the services they need can be very different from what a youth needs because they are independent. They've been living independently. They might have their own family. They have a, already have a career of um, work behind them and, and other, other skills and situations in their lives. But for youth, you have this intersection with education, uh, with a lack of independence or with a burgeoning understanding of who they are um, and sometimes lack of agency for themselves and control over their healthcare or their living situations. And so they really have these unique needs, and that means they have unique solutions. Even without any kind of proof, we know that homelessness is increasing across the board. And I think that part of that knowledge comes from the fact that it is a much more visible situation than it used to be. Ten years ago, I don't know how many homeless persons there were, youth or adults, but you didn't see very many. Now you pull off a uh, an exit ramp and there will be tents and, and things which give a visibility to this problem. Where are the kids? Are we seeing homeless camps that may have plenty of young people in them? Are they off together by themselves? The kids who are falling through the cracks that we want to help, where are they right now? You know, just like homelessness for adults, it's all across the board. A lot of young people are doubling up and couch surfing, um, jumping between a friend's couch, a relative's home uh, and the streets. Um, we do have some homeless shelters for youth, uh, but they tend to be you know, only in certain locations and oftentimes uh, crowded. And uh, again, for our uh, LGBTQ population, um, for different uh, racial groups, they might be a really uncomfortable place for them. And so they just like uh, are homeless in the situation in, in, our, in our state right now, they have to figure out where to sleep at night, whether it's under a bridge or in a tent or uh, a doorway. And it's, I mean, that's not a state that I wanna live in that we have young people uh, on our streets at night alone. Tana, every session you have sponsored legislation that is geared to help young people in need. Do you ever feel like you're just swimming up a waterfall here? There's a lot of issues that I never realized that uh, when you're in government, there's always something to solve. There's always another issue around the corner. Uh, a lot of the work, the issues that I work on are trying to prevent those problems from happening. And that's why I've worked so much on childcare, on making sure that people have a fair start in life, that they have economic resources so that they don't struggle and, and, um, and meet new traumas, that we do solve our mental health crisis by investing in social emotional learning to build resiliency uh, from the get-go. So this is really a, a growth out of that, that if we can make sure that young people are not released into homelessness, we are preventing homelessness. We are reducing trauma, uh, additional trauma for these youth. So I think this uh, falls right into, uh, into my lane of really looking out for the most vulnerable uh, and especially uh, young people in our state. You know, every bill that gets introduced Someone somewhere doesn't like that bill. They think that it's wrongheaded or they think that it's trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist or that it's just more big gummit. 
And I'm wondering who is going to push back against this bill and what are their arguments going to be? Are you trying to, to increase the size of government? Are you going to be accused of meddling in families? I mean, these are all the, the sort of arguments that often come up. Stand for that question. We actually just had the hearing today on House Bill 1905. We had 116 people sign in, not wishing to testify, all pro. We had 14 people who did testify. And when we look at the spread of those signing in, you had a lot of the people that are, frankly, oftentimes on the opposite side of some of the bills that come before us related to juvenile justice uh, or child welfare in our committee. And we had the we had police and sheriffs and prosecutors all pro. We have housing organizations and educators. We have legal um, organizations and other uh, you know foster youth. So I think people are realizing that it is well past time that we address youth homelessness, and we have to come together with these varied solutions that can really meet kids where they are and give the tools to the Office of Homeless Youth and the Department of Children, Youth and Families uh, to come together and, uh, and be successful in ensuring they are not released from foster care, from behavioral health and from juvenile rehabilitation into homelessness. It's pretty core that we wanna take care of our kids and if they're involved with the government, it has to be a successful response. And if we think that they need mental health treatment, to then release them into homelessness will undo all the work that we just did with them. Uh, if we think they need rehabilitation and a new start in our community, and we allow them to start out homeless, then we are, we're failing ourselves as well as them. And I hope that my colleagues see it that way as well, that this is paramount to being effective government, as well as responding to the needs of youth and families in our communities. I would say one other thing, you know, I remember a few years ago as a legislature, we started talking about homelessness in particular, and a lot of the questions used to come from some of the rural communities about why are we sending our homeless in King County, for instance, to their communities, and I don't hear that question anymore, and I think sadly, people are realizing all across our state that there is homelessness and they are their neighbors. They are their former business owners. They are their children. They're their grandparents. And I think there's a recognition with this legislation, for instance, that not every community has the resources to address homelessness or some of the service needs that again, maybe an urban environment does. But so for in those rural districts, these programs and ideas in 1905 are a lifeline, frankly, for the communities that have no services and provides them some options and some ways to address youth homelessness in their communities that they might not have had before. So you mentioned that this bill had a hearing on January 19th. What's the next step in the legislative process? What can people expect? So the next step is we will make any amendments uh, if needed, small ones, small tweaks. We expect it to pass out of committee uh, the following week and then head to appropriations where we really, that's where the rubber hits the road to make sure that our budget team sees this as something uh, to put money behind. And so for those who are interested in 
supporting this effort uh, a shout out to their legislators on the appropriations committee is probably the most helpful way that they can support and get behind this legislation. Have you got a ballpark idea of the appropriation that's going to be necessary for this? And that's a great question. I don't yet. I know the governor's budget included uh, over $2 million for parts of this legislation. So the good news is it's already funded in the governor's budget, as we often say, and there are some additional components. So I look forward to seeing that fiscal note. And, and like anything, this can be scaled depending on how much energy and how many counties we really want to put these programs in. So I think it definitely is something that can be scalable. Tana, I know your time is, is very limited. We're at the beginning of this short legislative session, and so I won't keep you any longer, but I do want to thank you for freeing up a little bit of time here today to talk with Capital Ideas. I hope we get a chance to come back to this before the session is over because I will be watching this. So let's talk some more about this. And in the meantime, thank you. And thank you, Caitlin Burton, my esteemed colleague, for helping me out on this podcast today. I always have time for you, Dan, and for Capital Ideas. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Capital Ideas. If you want to keep up with the bill we talked about, it's House Bill 1905, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't done so already, why not subscribe to Capital Ideas in Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your state government. What goes on here matters. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.